mindfulness mode 495. What that means is once you're plugged into your purpose and reason for being here, you feel good, you feel happy, and the work that you're doing at this point doesn't really feel like work. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, you hear about books that are recommended all the time by my guests on the show, and I have a free download for you. It's an ebook, a, a small ebook I put together featuring the 12 most recommended mindfulness books on the show. It's called 12 Must Read Mindfulness Books. You can get this uh, guide for free. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview today with my very interesting guest, The Wizard, JB The Wizard. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we have JB The Wizard with us today. Hey, JB, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm certainly in mindfulness mode. That's great. JB, I'm excited to have you on the show. I checked you out online and there's a lot online about JB the wizard. And I I watched you in a in a talk that you did that you started out in a very unconventional way. And you started out with a cape and it was a part of your uh production, one of the productions that you'd done. I'm very excited to talk to you about that. But before we get into that, could you tell us what does mindfulness mean to you, JB? Yeah, mindfulness means being present, being present. Another word, the present is a, is a word that's used a lot. So another word that I, I use is called listening, very, very much into listening. So when you're mindful and you're present, that enables you to listen and to hear better you know, what messages are coming to you or whatever you're trying to create or do with your life. Tell me what this talk was about, where you started out with a cape and why you started out with the cape. There's a show that I wrote and it's, it's a very big deal. It's called Futuring. And the whole point of it is there's the wizard, which is myself, and he helps people to future. And what that means is bringing the, your reality and your desires into real life, right? Uh, being present and living present with your future that you've designed. And so some of that show, just a portion of it was performed um, at this conference over there in California, in the States. And Tom Bilyeu, who does uh, Impact Theory, was on the Tag Talk. Tom Bilyeu also, I believe he was a, had a billion-dollar um, valuation. He was on that stage. And on that weekend, Forbes Riley was there and Kevin Harrington. And I had the privilege of being there uh, and speaking as well. Um, with them. And again, my whole point was speaking to this crowd of people, these entrepreneurs, about how to bring their reality to life. And so the reason I started off with a portion of that show is two re- twofold. One of them is that most people don't start off their talk that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly grabbed my attention. Right. You know, so a big deal when I'm working with people is helping them to be authentic, helping them to stand out from everybody else anyways, but doing it in a way that's, um, again, authentic as opposed to just making noise and everybody look at you. What's authentic to you? And what's authentic to me is the wizard. What's authentic to me is that show that I wrote. So that was a nice way of wake, waking people up a little bit, having them have a bit of smile on their face. And then we transitioned right into the impact system that I created, which, again, just helps people go from feeling out of control to feeling in control again to 
getting a hold on their life, speaking with authenticity, clarity, having mental clarity and calm, being mindful, and again, bringing those dreams into reality. So that's why I started off with that portion, and that's what we transitioned into. Yeah, and for our listeners, can you tell us more about this system that you have? Sure, yeah. So I work with CEOs and celebrities, and I help them to speak with authenticity, uh, get mental clarity, uh, to regain control of their lives, and to just activate their full potential. And the way that I do that is I bring them through a system I created called IMPACT, I-M-P-A-C-T. And it's an eight-week system. And the crazy thing is IMPACT's just six letters. <laughs> so the final two letters is wherever there was a, a bit of a breakdown or we needed some additional work, we do that in the final two weeks there. And the I stands for in alignment. The M stands for making your mark. The P stands for patterns. The A stands for adversity. The C is for competition and the T is technique. So to break that down a little further, in alignment is key to everything. And so one of the things about me being the wizard is the the thing that I am the wizard at is getting people in alignment, which really means plugging them into their purpose in this life, why they came here. And there's so many marketing techniques. There's so many ways that people attempt to make money, to make a living. And none of those things matter or will help if it's out of alignment with who you are. Something's going to break. So either you'll have a lot of money and then also have a lot of stress, sadness, anxiety, or you'll have no money and you feel happy. So how do we balance that out? How do we balance that? The first step is getting in alignment. Uh, From that place, we go to making your mark. A lot of people are setting goals for themselves while they're out of alignment which doesn't really make sense. It's like pointing to a dot on a map while you're on a merry-go-round. It it won't work. You're either never going to get there or you're going to be very far from where you intended to be. So once you get in alignment, we then make a mark. What are your goals that are in line with who you are? And then P is patterns. There are subconscious programmings and beliefs that we all have that are typically keeping us from getting to our goals. So what we do is identify what those subconscious patterns are and wake them up, become aware of them, and decide which ones we want to keep and which ones we need to incorporate to help us get to that goal. And then the A is adversity. Adversity is something that a lot of people tend to not talk about, but it's difficulties, things that are going to um, cause a hiccup in your goal. And this could be anything from you know something happening in your family, to business, to your health, to the economy, it just doesn't matter. Adversity shows up in every possible way. And we, at this point in the, in the system, in the, um, it's going to pop up. It's going to pop up. Uh, I, and again, it's almost as if I modeled this system like gravity. Gravity exists, but once we got a formula to understand it better, uh, we're able to manipulate it more and learn the law of aerodynamics. This seems to be the pattern of life for people going from, um, scattered and not really clear and in control of it to clarity and success. So I just modeled it after what I kept seeing. And then uh, the C is competition. So there are three parts to this. We take a look at what everybody else is doing because we want to know what's trending in the world, meaning literally in this decade or lifetime. And then we want to look at what everybody else is doing because we don't want to do that. <laughs> because you were here for a unique reason. So you don't want to do what everybody else is doing or you won't stand out. Like how many people are called the wizard? Not many, right? And then the third is um, part of the competition is what can we learn from industries that are outside of your own and incorporate them into your goals? 
And that's, we put that together to see, and the T is technique. So what are some practical tips towards communication and um, expressing what it is that you have inside of you with people outside of you that is most effective, persuasive, and influential so that you can have the most amount of impact. So that's what we do through the system. Could you tell us a story about somebody that you've worked with, maybe a CEO or someone like that, where you've really helped them to move from one place to a much better place? Yeah, there's a few. I won't list names right now, but there's a a gentleman I just had a call about an hour ago and he just felt out of control, you know, on that level. Uh, And what that means when we talk about out of control is that oftentimes we feel that a schedule can be controlling your life, could be family members. It could be the pressure of earning an income. It could be your goals just aren't happening. Life isn't happening the way you want it to. And you just feel like you're not in control. On the CEO level, it tends to be that the business may be very large and there are a lot of people relying on you. There's a lot of travel. So sometimes that disrupts your home life. When it comes to celebrity, it could come from the public, feeling like you have to always be on, even when you're not. And especially if you're an introvert, which most celebrities are, they have an expectation on them, which is not really one that they actually signed up for. So we deal with that. There's another client of mine and he's a celebrity and he dealt with some physical ramifications of the stress and anxiety that he was dealing with, specifically his spine, very much being out of alignment. And the crazy thing to that is as we went through the weeks together, he he said this just two days ago that he could actually feel his spine clicking into alignment as and he, he feels it pertains to us getting emotionally in alignment. So that's pretty a very cool idea there. And what always associates each of them is there's a large influx of money. So large from some of them were either, I have another client who's an author and she was homeless at one point. And I like to say houseless because home is like where your heart is, right? So house is just a structure. right? And then at this point, you know, uh, public speaking around the country, working with some people in Congress and getting funded for what she's working on. Another, the other client I was previously speaking with, five and six figures just started coming in from places un- previously unexpected. Um, another gentleman getting sponsored and hired by Red Bull and a few other companies, which before wasn't quite happening. And all of that makes sense because they're in alignment. So what that means is once you're plugged into your purpose and reason for being here, you feel good, you feel happy. And the work that you're doing at this point doesn't really feel like work. And so from a practical perspective, people want to work with you. From a more spiritual perspective, your money can flow. <laughs> I mean, right. that's the best. So yeah, so that, those, those tend to be the results of what happened. Well, I'm fascinated to learn how you got to this place where you can help people in these positions. I mean, what did you study when you went through school and then when you went through post-secondary education? Yeah, uh, I would say... I, I usually say nothing. Um, I mean, my degree, you know, it has n- theoretically has nothing to do with what I do now at all. So it doesn't really matter. You, you have, every person has something they're good at. I don't, I don't want to say that you're born with, but really that you're born with and you're passionate about. At that point, once you can figure out what that is, you are spending a majority of your time honing in on that skill. 
So there are other skills that we tend to, I don't want to say waste time, but waste time honing, trying to get better at, which you really should just let aside and figure out where you're great at. My degree is pre-medical exercise physiology. So I do love the body a lot. Um, I was preparing for medical school, but I don't necessarily like medicine. Um, I believe in healing through movement or through eating. I'm not against medicine at all. It's just I want you to first see what you're doing, you know, as opposed to eating junk food and taking a pill. Why don't you try stopping the junk food first? Right. So um, for me, I started um, training people and I trained Miss America, um, you know, that beauty contest in, in the States. Yeah. Um, so I trained her and then I worked with other um, large real estate moguls and uh the the way all of this happened is that uh there's a core behavior that i have i definitely like to go for what's the best and for me at this point the way i connect with ceos and celebrities um is that there are a few core behaviors we all have and one of those things is that you tend to want to master something like just get really good at this one thing that if you're not good at it, it really bothers you and you're not going to stop until you get it. So there's a really not give up attitude that they tend to have. Another one is they tend to want control of their life. We all want control to some degree, but a lot of times we relinquish that control and we go into a victim state. A CEO and celebrity doesn't do that. They won't tolerate not having control and personal responsibility for their own life. And then the third thing is just, the not give up thing. They just don't give up, won't ever give up. And I respect that in other people. I certainly have that myself. And that's how I got to where I am today for sure. So my degree is exercise physiology. I finished that degree, did well in that. And then my sophomore year, there was a film coming to town, a movie, a Hollywood film. And I knew since the age of eight or nine, I was going to be on television. I just didn't know how. I didn't worry about it, but I knew it was going to be. So I auditioned for this film and I ended up getting it. And it was a film called Radio with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Ed Harris. And at the time, you know, I had a big afro, a big hair, you know, and, and then it was a basketball. Really, people say it's a football film, and it is, but I was on the basketball team in the movie. And after that, I got an agent, and I said, I guess it's time for me to pursue the acting part. And then there were theaters casting for shows at the time. And I said, well, I haven't done theater before, and movie actors you know, there's just a discrepancy between the two of them. I said, so let me just do all of it and I'll decide myself. Right. And so I, I was immediately cast as the lead in four of the shows and I had never done it before. So I had no idea what I was doing. So some people, and this is that behavior, the core behavior was shy away from that. I just leaned into it and I didn't want to get horribly embarrassed. So that caused me to study more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What I did from there is I, I did very, very well. It went great. And I ended up moving out to Oklahoma. I knew I wanted to direct. And I met the director of um, the God, the producer of the Godfather trilogy and the director of Children of the Corn. And since I knew I wanted to direct, I said, hey, I, I went and I found out where they were working. I knocked on the door, actually. And I said, hi, I want to direct. Can I learn from you? And they said, yeah. And you could shadow our class. And I went into the class and I started asking questions. And my questions were so sincere that they thought I knew what I was talking about. But I didn't. I just was sincere. And then they started casting me in their films. And from there, I got another agent. And long story short, I moved down to Dallas, Texas, got, a, got another, got the biggest agent down there, but I didn't know it was the biggest agent at the time. And she 
um, connected me with Steven Spielberg auditions, Walt Disney film auditions for The Princess and the Frog. I was able to audition for that, Band of Brothers with Steven Spielberg. And then I landed a Prison Break audition, which uh, had me working with Wentworth Miller and Robert Nepper and Bob Wisdom and that sort of thing. And then from there, I, I, I started continuing to act in musical theater. And I did a show with Jensen Ackles on a CW network. I actually just ran into him the other day. And Lou Diamond Phillips, who I loved as a kid, he was, uh, you know, in, um, what's the film? It's, I mean, for sure La Bamba, but the one that I grew up knowing, who's the Native American, and I just love Native Americans. So I mean, you call them First Nations there in Canada, right? Yes. Um, but anyway, so I got to work with him. And then that's some of, that's some of that journey. That's some of that journey. That's pretty incredible. It's really amazing where you've gone with your journey. I wonder when you're working with speakers, I noticed that some speakers have very natural, very relaxed sounding voices and others have this sound as if they're forcing it and there's this tension in their chest and their vocal cords. What do you do to help someone find their normal, regular, comfortable voice? Right. Great question. Um, it really goes back to what, what my client said. He said I was wizarding. So, you know, it, it's not the typical way, right? There are a lot of techniques and tips and tricks, and I'm not saying they're useless. It's just, it's like lipstick on a pig. It just doesn't, <laughs> don't do that. So what's the actual problem? So it's another gentleman, you know, I just came back from Toronto. I, I love Canada, by the way. Oh, so like, when I found and I was like, what? I absolutely love Canada. I love Canadians. And then I just got back from Toronto. And um, the CEO up there also had a concern for, for his speaking ability. Um, and so the way that we go in through that is through the impact system. Once a person realizes what they're here to do, you know, and they feel good about it and they understand, and this is for me for sure, I I'm so clear that I'm he, what I'm here to do and who I'm here to help and that it's not really about me. And once that happens, it be your the way that you speak, the way that you communicate is 100% different. And on, if you notice also in the clip I think you saw, I go many minutes into the speech before I even say my name. It's yes. just irrelevant. Yes, I yeah. noticed that. Yeah, it's just not important. Like nobody actually cares about who I am. What they care about is how can I help them or, you know, how is their life going to be better after hearing me? They don't really care about me. And I don't take that personally. This is what we're here for, you know? So um, so anyway, when a, when a speaker has that issue or that nervousness, once you find out what you're here for, another thing that's really helpful is that when you're working like with me, for example, I got this skill, I would say, from my father. And I actually very much listen. And, and what I teach my children, I've got five children. What I teach them is we don't listen with our ears. We listen with our eyes. And if you can actually hear and see people for who they are, see their soul, hear their soul, not judge them, not judge any part of who they are, there's a safety that the person is going to feel. And when that person experiences that safety with me, they're invincible. So they go out onto the stage or they go out to the pitch meeting and then they nail it. You know, that that's been a great testimonial too. Like after talking with you, we closed the deal. Awesome. You know, <laughs> so oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. It's so inspiring to talk to you because it sounds like you've helped a lot of people. 
my goal is to help so many more. But yeah, I'm, I, I definitely have gratitude for Rolam Hebla. I've worked with wonderful clients and beautiful people. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. And you're known as the wizard. How did that yeah. come to be? Yeah. <laughs> so here's really how it happened. It's just, um, just working with these clients. Well, here's the crazy thing. Because of my experience with acting, I was on my way to create a marketing um, campaign. And I heard Warren Buffett, the billionaire, say, public speaking is the number one um, skill to acquire in order to increase your career value by more than 50%. So I said, wait a second. It's the number one fear people have across the world as well. I said, well, if I'm not afraid of that and it's the number one skill to acquire, I can help a lot of people. There's a need there. So for a while, I was coining myself as public speaking coach, public speaking helper, because I'm very comfortable with that. And I have a great resume that shows, hey, he's an actor. Clearly, he must be good at that. But the type of clients I was connecting with, they were coming to me for either happiness. They wanted to feel in alignment. They wanted to regain control of their life. Uh, they wanted to have confidence. And they just wanted to have mental clarity. So this one client, a celebrity guy, he's working with me. And he said, I don't even know. I'm not even come. I'm the best public speaker in the world. Like in the world, I'm the best. I'm not really coming to you for public speaking help per se. I don't even know how we're working together. But man, this is amazing. You're a wizard. <laughs> so he said, and he, I said, oh, and I started laughing. He said, man, it's like you don't even, you live in the side of a mountain and you popped out. I don't know. You're just a wizard. He said, I actually have you in my phone as the wizard. So I said, you know what? Let's go with that. So from that point on, I started calling myself the wizard. Or I continued the phrase that he called me. I called it the wizard. And then I started putting it everywhere, LinkedIn, Instagram. And then people, they seemed to get it. They were like, hey, let's connect. I love that you're the wizard. And you could think like, wait a second, maybe that's not professional, right? It's LinkedIn. You're dealing with CEOs of top companies. You, maybe people might not take you seriously. But for me, it was an alignment. And it actually helped things be a little more clear about what it is that I do. So um, I, one of my clients today was saying, so when you work with somebody who has a public speaking issue, do you do the same thing you and I are doing that's really unlocking my life? I said, same thing. It's the same stuff. We just got to get people in line. We're just doing it in a non-traditional way. Oh, that's, that's pretty amazing. I want to ask you, do you meditate? And if you do, what does meditation look like for you? <laughs> that's a great question. That's a great, somebody asked me that today and I was taking up through my schedule. I wake up pretty early. I I would say, I told him about six to seven hours of my day is meditation and about 40 minutes of it is what I call outgoing. So the answer is I certainly meditate um, and it looks a few different ways, but I, most of my day is spent meditating. Um, so some of it, uh, again, since I wrote Futuring, and, and again, Future, we've got a copyright and trademark. It's a gigantic deal. It's a very, very big deal. And, and the illustrations are coming in for the book that we're creating and we're pitching it to Netflix and doing a documentary on it and writing for Broadway. Um, we're just probably later on today launching the the Instagram site. So I have like, well, I might already somehow have one follower, but um, what does it call? It's a future with the wizard is what it'll be on Instagram. My account is JB the Speaking Pro on Instagram, but future with the wizard is what we're just getting ready to launch. And um, so I future. So I lay there and I think about my day. I spend about 20, 30 minutes when I first wake up in the morning feeling whatever it is that I feel in that particular moment. So that's about 30 minutes or so. And then, 
you know, it's a, I go right into my family and all of us, we, we do a lot of hugging. How, how'd you sleep? Did you sleep well? You know, and like I said, there's five children, all seven of us are hugging my wife, my five kids. And then I drive to, I'm Jewish, so I go to synagogue and I, and I pray there. So I spent, I spent 20 minutes in the car on the drive, also visualizing and meditating about what my day is and what I feel I should take action on. I don't look at my phone. I certainly don't have messages coming in. I don't do social media, none of that, because that's going to cloud what I call my listening ability. Because I'm listening to whatever you, whatever your thing is, God, the universe, energy, what, it doesn't matter. Whatever your thing is, listen to that. Then I go, and for another hour, um, I meditate again. And I'm paying attention to what I'm feeling. And I get a lot of information on what I think I should act on that day. I then have another 20 minute ride back home. And that's when I take notes about, okay, do this, that, and the other. And still at this point, there's no incoming information from anywhere else. So this is still coming from me and putting my own notes. Then the next hour, uh, spend with my, my children before school, three of them are homeschooled anyways, for the purpose of this freedom and two of them are in Montessori. So, and then I skateboard. Skateboarding is a very big part of my life. And that is another form of active meditation for me. So there's usually a, a trick or an activity or some limit to push past that I haven't yet conquered in one way or another. And I, what I do is I mentally equate that to another goal that I have um, for my work, business, or life. And as I progress in the physical aspect of that trick or that skateboarding session, I visually activate what I'm going towards. And as I overcome this part, I'm overcoming the next goal too. So I really spend that skate session really going over any mental obstacles. Well, you're the first mm -hmm. person I've interviewed who skateboards and that is part of their mindfulness. Where do you go to skateboard? Is it around other people? Is it in an urban area? What's it like? Yeah, there's some skate parks. So sometimes it's a parking lot, but this is very interesting. The skateboarding culture is built around going past your limits. And it's really a beautiful culture when you understand what's happening. 90% of everything that you're doing, your tricks you're trying, you're never, you're not going to land. 90%. So that means a lot of repetition and the whole many hours that you're spending up there is just not giving up. And you get really hurt. I broke my elbow just a couple uh, about a month something ago, ankles, bruises, majority, like I said, 90%, you are hitting the pavement very hard and you have to get back up again for hours. And most of the people at a skate park understand that. So they're all doing that too. So you're really surrounded by high performing individuals who are going after a goal and they're never going to stop until they get it. So I go to skate parks and then um, parking lots every night. But the thing with the parking lot is you are more surrounded by what I call civilians, yeah. non-skaters. And they don't, a lot of times they may not be high performers. Right. And it's a different way of looking at the skateboarding culture. We're really dealing with high performing individuals here. So, so yeah, that's the good part about the skate park. It's almost like it's a playground or practice session for real life. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. Do any of your children skateboard? Yeah, all of them. Oh, they all do? Yeah, my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I bet you've taught them some some great tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working on some ollies right now, dropping in, transitions, riding fakie, all of that stuff. And then um, pushing goofy, irregular, all of that. And at the same time, you know, we, we all know that when we're going to skate, that this is for uh, pushing past mental limits and emotional limits. If you suddenly 
could no longer skateboard, what would you do to fill that void in your life? Yeah, the sauna is a big deal. The sauna is a big deal for me. Uh, it, it's a great thinking spot. Now, do you mean like just a physical, like if I couldn't do anything right. physical? Or right. Just something. Or wintertime and the skate park is closed. Okay. <laughs> so what do you do then? Right. Um, so there's something I created called brainwalking. And there's three techniques to it. The first one is walk where you would usually drive. Number two, don't think about or worry where you're, uh, whether you're going to arrive. Number three, make certain that you have an open mind. And what that enables you to do is to just walk without a goal, just move. And the movement in and of itself without a goal enables things to come to you. So brainwalking is a big one. Sauna is a great spot. Uh, you know, going in the bathtub for a while and thinking. And I notice when a download is happening. I tend to, my eyes tend to be very um, open and really alert. And then I know something's coming. So those are, those are the ways that they, they tend to come to me. skateboarding, sauna, brainwalking. Well, it's interesting you said bathtub because I was just going to ask you, what role does water play in your life? That's a great, uh, you have great questions. <laughs> um, that's very interesting regarding water because in one sense, um, I'm more of a mountain guy. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily, I grew up in Hawaii as well. So I don't like prefer going to the ocean. My mother does, but that's not really me. I like the, the mountains. Nonetheless, showers and baths, they really, really help out. And I do do the whole cold shower thing, but I do it with a different technique that I, that I created there as well. Um, and it deals with converging your mental spots or, or, or any difficulties with this cold shower. Once you've got to a place where you're, you're, gold is released. The cold shower can kind of lock it in. So I've done cold shower, really cold shower. <laughs> like I think there was something wrong with the pipes cold, uh, for 12 minutes before some people do it for like 15 seconds, but I, I wanted to push the limits and see, could I get to 12, 12, 13 minutes? And do you do ice immersion as well? I don't have, I mean, I guess I could do ice, but I just do very, very cold showers. Okay. I was just thinking about ice immersion yesterday, though. It's funny you asked that. That might be coming next. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I do uh, cold showers myself, and I'm just coming up on a year of it from the 20th of November is when I started last year. And uh, so, and I'm lucky here in Canada because we have this 120-foot uh, deep well, so the water is truly icy cold. It's like as icy cold as you can imagine. So if I go into a city on a trip or a speaking engagement or something, I'm so disappointed right. that the water isn't really cold and people think they're taking cold showers and it really isn't cold at all. Uh, but anyway, after I do cold shower, my cold shower, I almost always do ice immersion as well. And I, I am pretty fascinated with the difference, like what you said about unlocking and connecting your cold shower with a concept. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. And I, and I want to hear about your ice immersion. Um, <laughs> uh, I've walked in the snow, you know, barefoot, but I haven't done an ice immersion there. So, um, yeah, what's going on there is before the cold. So, like, let's say that it's warm, warm shower. I'm doing that thing again where I'm I'm thinking about the goal for that day. And then if, if it's coming for the goal for my life or the overall objective or who I'm helping, if I know I have a meeting where I'm working with a client, I really go there. So basically I live that moment before it gets there. And then sometimes if there's where I feel a little bit of reservation, I just lean into it and I think, okay, so what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Okay. What if that does happen? Okay. Let's continue going to, Oh wait, it's not so bad after all. Wait, I feel good. I feel strong. Time for cold shower. 
turn on that cold shower, lock it in. Because when you get that cold shower on, you have this really fight or flight moment where you, you could have a lot of different responses. You know, the logo for my company, PSP, is a lion. And that goes back to something that happened to me in Africa. But uh, the lion, just just this roar. Mm-hmm. And that happens. And then when that happens, it's like, done. Turn off the cold water, directly go out to the meeting and get it. Wow. It, talking to you, it, it makes me feel like there's nothing that you can't do, nothing that you wouldn't try, nothing that you wouldn't attempt, that everything is just completely open for your availability. Is that how you look at life? That's, that's, I love how you're saying that. Yes, definitely. Yes. And there are things that are scary, you know, in a skate park, whatever, but that can't stop us, right? That can't do it. So if I notice, if I notice anything could maybe want to stop me, sometimes I, I know that's exactly where I have to go next. So a lot of times I'll go, oh man, okay. <laughs> and then you got to lean right you into You embrace it. it. You're excited yeah. when that happens then. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't wait to hear about you as a kid. What kind of kid were you like when you were like seven, eight years old? What was a day like in your life? Yeah, I actually started skateboarding when I was nine, which is interesting. Uh-huh. But um, I moved around a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a German citizen and I'm German and we speak German here in, in the house. But uh, my father's American. And so I grew up a lot in the States, too. But my first memories are in Germany. So we came. So we moved every three years, if you like, because my father was American military. And we came back uh, to the States when I was six or seven. And that was very hard. That was very hard because I had friends and I had teachers that I loved there and, and I had to get through that difficulty. And um, because of moving so frequently, I had to, I guess, make a choice, either be uncomfortable with that or get comfortable with the fact that I move frequently. And then my friends moved also, you know. And then my father would have to go to the field, you know, maybe he'd have to go to war and some people's parents didn't come back. And, you know, we had, I had to deal with that a lot. And so I was very good in school. Uh, I was in like the honor societies and the gifted programs. And um, I was good with people. So I was friends with my teachers. And, uh, and then I had friends as well. But I was very, very calm, for sure. I was very calm, very relaxed. Um, I did my homework. I liked to play. I played baseball, skateboard outside, but I wasn't really frantic. I was just very chill, very mellow. Uh, and my mother would say I was very, very stubborn. Um, but she also said she didn't want to break that stubbornness within me. So she said, she said, I was so stubborn when I was two or one already. She said, um, God helped me to not break his stubbornness, but help me maybe to bend it a little mm. bit so I could help this out. And I really think that it helped me out in my, my entire life. I remember my six, I was six years old in my report card. It said, he's a leader. I was six years old already. And I think that my mom's prayer and hope and wish, uh, helped me to know when to be stubborn and then when to bend a little bit. So there's a balance to that, that drive. I can believe that that's what really paved the way for you to be the kind of adult you are. It really makes a lot of sense. Were you ever bullied through all of these moves or were you ever a bully to other people? That's a great question. I was definitely never a bully. I was never a bully. If there were people that I would see, you know, people were not necessarily treating them with respect, I would definitely, I was, I said something for sure. Mm-hmm. I was tall. I was always tall. I'm 6'3". I'm not like overly tall, but I'm not small. So I didn't let that happen to other people. So what would you do if you saw it? Always my voice. 
always my speech. I'm a martial artist. I've been doing martial arts since I'm six years old and I do Kung Fu. But like I teach my children, this is one of the reasons I'm passionate about speaking and public speaking is that words are everything. So what would happen, I would say, hey, that's <laughs> my father's voice too. Hey, stop that. And I remember at one point when I was older, I had a knife pulled on me and a whole gang. And I was sitting there, there was about 10 guys plus a weapon. And I was sitting down. This was in Hawaii growing up. And the police were coming by because they were doing these gang jumps every day. They were just happening. So it was a dangerous situation. I sat there and this guy walked up to me and he pulled out this knife and I didn't say anything, but I looked at him and I just didn't move. And (laughs) he put his knife away and the whole gang walked away. Wow. And it's just that, that calm, that presence. Yeah. Yeah. It just really helps. And it, it has helped and I've never had to hit anybody outside of Kung Fu training. You know, I've Mm -hmm. never had to do that. I've had, you know, that weapon pulled on me. I've had people maybe who were drunk just swing at me before. Again, I don't, I didn't have to hit, you know, this is like in a street when you're walking with your family and God forbid you're this drunk person. That's what that happened too. But I was able to be fast enough to avoid the swing and say, you know, you need to keep (laughs) moving, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I still keep things light and calm to where the person wants to go. You know, that's part of that going with that flow a little bit. And um, so that's, that's how I've been able to, to handle that throughout. Wow. That's pretty fascinating. As we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are fine, JB. The first one is this, who is one person that has inspired mindfulness in your life? Yeah, I, I would say that two pop up. It's Bruce Lee and my father. I have to give my father. My father introduced me to Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee is gigantic oh, for yeah. me. Yeah, Bruce Lee, unbelievable, yeah. just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> how has mindfulness affected your emotions, JB? Yeah, mindfulness is what enables me to hear, see, listen, and know exactly what to say, when to say, and how to say it. Mindfulness enables me to get the information from outside of myself and then deliver it. Wow! So it keeps my emotions very, very stable because of that. Very cool. Talk about breathing. Tell us about how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Yeah, breathing is curious and so interesting because, you know, if you believe that God breathed life into people or that breath is a part of the beginning of existence, then that's the same thing that we still have as we breathe. So paying attention and being connected to your breath connects you infinitely to the infinite like immediately right to that. It's the source. So without that breath, you're done anyway. So it would make sense that there's a part of that that's a little bit of a wire to where your eternality stays. So uh, breathing is a very big deal. It helps me with the heart rate whenever I need it to, with focus, control, training, everything. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness in some way, what book would that be? Strangely enough, I would say Happy Money. Happy Money. Uh I think it's, Ken Honda, I think Ken is that his name? Maybe that's his name, but Happy Money. It's a yellow book, one of the best books ever. Awesome. And are there any apps which you would recommend that are helpful for mindfulness? Yeah, it's I guess again, this is slightly counterintuitive, but Evernote. <laughs> right. Evernote. The main thing is to be present with your thoughts. And when they come, get them out. They need to come out. They're not meant to stay here. So the whole way that you can stay present and mindful is to be present and mindful. A lot of times people get caught up in thoughts. They think about the future. They think about the past. But as it happens, get it out. Write it down. Type it into your Evernote. 
and then let it go. And that enables you to be in this moment. JB, the speaking pro. <laughs> and that's what you are. Is it on Facebook? Uh, on Instagram. That's what you are on Instagram. How else can we reach out to you, JB? This has been a fascinating interview. How can we connect with uh, you? Sure. Thanks so much. JBthespeakingpro.com. JBthespeakingpro on Instagram. And you can email me at JB at JBthespeakingpro.com. Oh, that's great. Well, JB, it's been a true pleasure to have you on the show. And I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to be here today. Thanks, JB. Yes, sir. You're welcome. You're welcome. My pleasure and my honor. Thank you for your time as well. <laughs> You're welcome. All the best now. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. So remember what I said at the top of the show, I have an ebook for you to help you bring mindfulness into the life of your child. It's called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child Every Day, yours for free. Download it at mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>